0: Have a great uh, opportunity this morning to continue our conversation uh, on our series, This Is Us. Uh, I love, I'm, I'm kind of a nut when it comes to uh, church leadership, missions, vision statements, uh, and values, stuff like that. So I'm really excited to have the opportunity to share our, uh, our value number two. And today we'll be looking at. Uh, mentoring across generations. But first of all, we're going to continue to do this every week, and you're going to get annoyed with it, and that's totally fine, but we do need to memorize this. Let's, let's go ahead and put our mission statement back up there and say it with me. People helping people grow generations of Christ-led influencers. One more time. People helping people grow of Christ-led influencers. Now, I've got some room to grow as, as well. Now, let's think of this mission values things. Um, in, in my mind, it's, it's kind of like a roadmap. The destination where we want to be is our mission statement. People helping people grow generations of Christ-led influencers. Now, if we just leave it at that, that's a wonderful flowery thing to have on a bumper sticker or a t-shirt. Oh, it makes us feel better. That's cool. So how do we get there? How do we do this at Sherwood Oaks Christian Church? And what we see is these values that we've come up with, that we've prayed through, that that teams of people have been combing through for years to try to figure this out. And one of those, say, roadmaps that we have today is mentoring generations of people. Mentoring, influencing, discipling. These are all kind of words that somewhat go hand in hand, but not really. But let me give you an illustration. So yesterday... Now, the Mufflers had the opportunity to go up to Indy to the Children's Museum. Anybody been to the Children's Museum? I absolutely love it. It's like the one place that I could crawl around on my hands and knees and have a good time without people looking at me funny. <laughs> I brought my kids this time, so it was a great time for everybody. It was wonderful, right? And so, like I do, unless I'm heading to some place I am 100% sure of, I get my phone out and I, I type in directions. I like having directions on my phone. My wife rolls her eyes because she's my wife. Anyway, it, It's not that difficult to get to the children's ministry, uh, children's ministry, uh, children's children's museum. All you have to do is go up uh, 37 or 69 or the the highway that will never be built um, and figure it out, right? And so I've got it on my dash and I've got what seems to be 658 kids in the back screaming and I'm having a great conversation with my wife and you'll never guess what I'm not paying attention to. My directions. So on my way up, I miss my exit. And so my wife, again, snickers and rolls her eyes. And so I I have to get off at a different road and turn around and get back on. No big deal, life goes on. We have a wonderful time. Everybody's had a great uh, experience. We get back in the car and I ask my phone to take me home and you'll never guess what I did, the exact same road on, I was not paying attention. And so I had to not only turn around once but twice in the exact same parking lot. And my wife's reaction was, (laughs) I married you, really? which is okay, I deserved it, I deserved it. Because sometimes when we take our eyes off the directions, it's hard to get to our destination. And so that's why we're talking this series, This Is Us, about these values of how we're striving as a church community, as a church family, to live people helping people grow. People helping people grow. Excellent. Very good, very good, right? So today we're talking about mentoring, and if I take an honest look at my life, I can look it back and say, you know what, there has been a few times in my life that I feel like I have made great strides and growth, not only in my faith, but in my maturity as a human being, and it really kind of reflects when somebody has selflessly invested in me. One of the times, I, I, I accidentally found myself playing basketball in college. Uh, I went to um, St. Louis Christian College, which is an NCAA a, 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 B division, purple, college, and it was, it was a great time. But I went there uh, as a non-believer. I went to a religious school to play basketball, have a good time, and move on, right? Well, I was taught growing up that what you need to do is work really hard, help other people on your team, look bad so you get more playing time. That's how I was raised. Not by my parents, by, by coaches, by friends. I'm not calling that a wise decision. That's just who I was. I remember getting to college and there was a forward uh, who was a senior and it was his starting job. He was much better than I was and he was a senior and I was a freshman. And so I immediately thought, man, I need to take this guy's playing time away. I need to work hard and practice and I need to make sure that every time I can, I'm gonna make him look bad in front of coach so I can have more playing time. And this guy did something ridiculous. He says, hey, John, after practice, I'm going to stick around and work on a few things. How about you stay? And I'm like, okay, more basketball. Wonderful. He helped me learn some post moves. He helped me uh, have a better jump shot. He invested in me as a player, as a teammate, and as a human being. He invested in me selflessly. And I appreciated that as a non-Christian, I looked at that and I thought, that's weird. That's abnormal. And I grew as a basketball player. I grew as a human being, and eventually I started seeing that Jesus wasn't just kind of one of those things, but I needed to react to it. A few years after that, I remember being a part of uh, a men's group. Now, this was hilarious uh, because this, this group was five or six gentlemen. They met at Hardee's on like Wednesday mornings at like 3 o'clock in the morning. I have no idea why that early, um, but it was pretty early. And I remember sitting there, and I'm, I'm young 20s. I'm barely a Christian, and I'm having these conversations. And I remember that a widower of 73 taught me a lot about trust and lust. We were sitting eating our biscuits and gravy, because that's what you do. And we shared time. We shared trust. And I remember him saying hey, guys, you know, I'm struggling. Um, my wife's gone, has been gone now for eight months, and I'm still getting these stupid JCPenney catalogs with bras and panties in it. Will you please pray with me? Will you help me through this situation? And this the young John who was like, oh, man, I'm new in Jesus, and this lust thing is gonna disappear when I get older. It's gonna be great, you know? I'll just walk around like, oh, Jesus. I had no concept that human beings had this sanctification like it was a lifetime experience of trying to be more like Jesus. And he taught me about trust. He had no problem because of the shared experiences and the trust that we developed to look at me and a couple other guys and say, hey, listen, this is not convenient. This doesn't make me look good, but would you please help me? And that taught me a lot about trust and lust. I have grown the most when somebody has come beside me and said, I'd like to invest in you. Mentoring is an amazing opportunity for the kingdom of God to be stronger today than it was yesterday, stronger tomorrow than it was today. Now, there's a few stories about about Sherwood Oak's Christian church that I would love to share with you. last couple weeks I've asked around, I'm like, all right, can you guys give me some, some victory, some wins? When do you see mentoring happen in and outside of these walls so I can share? Because I feel like when we have great examples, we get encouraged, we get excited. People want to show up to a winning team, right? So here we go. Here are some stories from Sherwood Oaks. In our junior high, we have a sixth grade girls group led by Angie, Hannah, and Macy. An adult a college student, and a high school student teaming together to influence and love sixth-grade girls. All of them are in different phases of life. All of them have different struggles, different experiences, but the common thread is they are willing to invest in these sixth-grade girls. What an amazing story. Now, have you guys ever heard of the the video game Minecraft? Minecraft? Two people, sweet. All right, this is gonna be a great illustration. So we have a Minecraft-themed group for eight and nine-year-old boys led by Grandma Claudia. Grandma says, you know what, my grandson is really into playing this video game. He's got a bunch of friends that love this video game. Hey, let's get together, play some games, do some crazy stuff, have some Bible studies, live life together, and she is investing in these eight and nine-year-old boys through Minecraft. God can use anything to bring people into his family. Our college ministry has a life coaching network where college students are connected with a mentor. Um, So it's, it's not clean, it's not easy, and that's the thing about mentoring. It's... It's kind of rough, but if a college student says, hey, you know what? I'm looking for somebody that that can really help me in my uh, professional career. I'm about ready to graduate. I would love to have somebody, I don't know, give me some uh, tips and tricks on how to find a job, put a resume together, all that kind of stuff. They go through uh, college ministry. They connect an adult with a college student, and they have conversations and grow together. It's not easy, but sometimes it's broken relationships, career path, faith journey with Jesus. It could be anything but the connection of two people to live life together. Tom's not here, so I can talk about him. Tom leads a group of young men uh, most weeks, uh, you know, sometimes it's hard. And he's there investing not in the next generation, but in this generation of young men who are leaders, people that are willing and able to be a part of the community and do great things for Jesus Christ. He doesn't look at them and says, hey, you're gonna be an elder one day, so it's like, I don't know, like AAA for eldership, right? It's not like a farm team. He is just investing in men because he's been down the road a few miles and he can help them along with them. Here's another thing that I absolutely positively love. I'm a geek when it comes to life groups. I love life groups. Right now, about 850 adults through our three campuses, are involved in a life group. Living faith together. Hard, difficult, fun, exciting, challenging. And I love that. Matter of fact, that's 850 adults. That doesn't include children's ministry, junior high, uh, high school ministry, college ministry. We probably have 1,100-ish people in groups of circles living life together. And I love life groups because I have never been in a situation, ever in a life group, that I've looked around and said, I can't learn from somebody somewhere in here, from male, from a female, older, younger, I've always been able to live life in a life group and say, you know what, Steve, man, I wish I could be more like him when it it comes to this. Matt, man, I, I envy this about you, and so I'm trying to learn about that, and if there's opportunities for me to invest in others and mentor along the way, it's amazing, And to be honest, in a life group, you develop trust, and it's easier to have a conversation of, hey, you wanna have a cup of coffee because you've got something that I kinda wanna emulate. You're a pretty cool guy, and I wanna be a part of that. Now, these stories might uh, be cringe-worthy for some of us because mentoring is a dirty job. You know what's really easy in life? Writing a sermon. I go to my office, I lock my door, there's no little children running around like crazy people, and I can write a sermon. To be honest, getting on stage on a Sunday morning, I love this, this is phenomenal. They pay me to talk about Jesus, I'm a fan. You know what's really hard? Living life with somebody who's made the same mistake 16 times and not giving up on them. Living life with that high school student that's been busted for drugs twice. Hanging out with that buddy or that next door neighbor that continues to irritate you, but you know you can influence. Mentoring is messy. It's uh, (laughs) Let's just say it, it takes time that we don't have allocated for others. Normally we don't have margins in life, we're booked up and spending time on other people normally is not there. Drama is unavoidable. Whenever you hang out with broken people, you're gonna put your foot in mess constantly. You are gonna step in their drama and it's going to be difficult and painful uh, sometimes we don't think we're worthy To influence others in faith um, I, don't, I don't care who you are If you're brand new to faith If you're here checking it out If you're a non-Christian trying to figure this out First of all, welcome And while wow, you're brave Nicely done coming to church Kudos to you Pat yourself on the back But to be honest A lot of us look at ourselves and say You know what? I'm not a theologian I don't know Greek I didn't go and get my master's uh, in, in biblical uh, studies, right? Here's what Kerry Curry says And I love this I'm going to steal it from him he says that Jesus chose 12 ordinary men. Most of them didn't know how to read or write. I'm going to look at you and say the same thing. You look ordinary. I would love to give you a big hug and be like, oh, you're so special. You are absolutely one of a kind. But to be honest, we are ordinary people that God can use to do amazing things. Matter of fact, the more you read scripture, God is in the habit of using ordinary people to do extraordinary things and extraordinary people as examples of what not to do. But we're going to move on from there, right? Or maybe it's the guilt that reminds us, if we're honest, maybe we're not really great at the relationships we have. Maybe we don't have a, a ton of time for our, for our siblings, for our wives, for our, for our kids, for our grandkids. Maybe we just have this guilt of like, I don't like people. And that's okay. I get it. Not everybody can like everybody. But to be honest, we need to walk through and say, hey, is this important? Are we called to mentor, to influence? Or is just like this for staff at a church? Or like, you know, if you're like a super Christian. Well, let's check this out. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. I love this. There's a lot of scripture that we can debate. You know, the black and white or gray, what it is. But I love some scripture because it is perfectly crystal clear. Um, we have a clear understanding of the expectations Christ gives us in Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now listen, we push back and say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is for like missionaries. No, we are called to reach people outside the family of God and influence them in such a positive way that they would look at Jesus and say, wow, that's something I should look into. That's amazing. This is hard. Martin Luther said this, A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing, is worth nothing. If you are living a life, you or I are living a life, and we say, you know what, I don't want to mentor, I don't want to influence people, that's somebody else's job, it's too messy for me, we're going to be very careful what faith we have. Is this our personal faith with Jesus, or is this our faith of attendance? Because we've got to ask that hard question. Now, Matthew 28, 19 through 20 is basically a mission statement for churches and personal marching orders. We are to go to influence the world for Jesus Christ. Um, The local church is the mechanism for God's salvation plan on earth. There's a lot of questions. Well, well, why doesn't God write the name of Jesus on the moon? Well, that, that would get people's attention. Here's what it is. The salvation plan of God is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came to say, you know what? There's this amazing plan by my name, you can be saved. And it is now your job, my job, local church, to make sure that happens in the world. When we get irritated and we see people in different countries, we get irritated, we see neighbors that are doing things, we would say, oh, that's not very nice. It's our job to positively influence the world for Jesus Christ. We can't blame it on somebody else. The salvation mechanism for earth is us. Jesus saves, and it's our job to influence other people. Take a deep breath. That's kind of harsh. Here we go. So if mentoring or discipling others is clear job description that we've been given by Jesus, there's some questions we need to ask. Number one, so what is this mentoring thing? How does it work out? Webster says that it's a wise and trusted counselor and influential supporter. There's no perfection here. There's no expert here. Wise and trusted counselor an influential supporter. Perfect people, please don't apply. You and I cannot be perfect, are not perfect, and so if we wait to be perfect to influence others, we will do nothing. We will sit on the sidelines and let people around us suffer for our inactivity. We need to focus on the needs of the mentee. This is one of those selfless things. Remember, when we invest in other people, we're taking time and energy and resources from ourselves or the people that we love, like our family, and saying, I'm gonna allocate it to somebody else. And that is difficult, but we focus on the other person. We don't treat that person like a project. We don't look at somebody and be like, man, you're screwed up, I can help. Don't worry, I'm perfect. That's not it at all. We are called to influence, to mentor, to walk and share life together. To be honest, really, it's the been there, done that, getting there, doing that approach. Whomever you are, you've been down some road. If you look behind you, I guarantee you there's going to be people behind you that are maybe a mile or two or a few steps behind you. You've been there, done that, so now that you and I can influence those people that are just starting on that road. I don't care if it's positive or negative, if it's a pain, if it's a life circumstance. We have the opportunity to say, God created us. We have our own experiences. Look behind you. Guarantee you there's somebody walking up behind you. You and I can influence those people. So how do we mentor others? Again, you just don't walk up to somebody and say, hey, you seem pretty, pretty messed up. Let me help. Jesus has a very teachable moment with Peter after his uh, resurrection. John 21, 15 through 17 says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than those? Are these? Yes, Lord, he says, you know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time. Poor Peter, thinking with his emotions. Oh, to be like Peter. It's a shame. Um, Do you love me, he said. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus asked, feed my sheep. There's a lot of things happening in these three verses. Jesus is calling Peter and us to a life-altering love. He says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, then go feed my sheep. Go take care of my family. The people of God need your help. He asks again, Peter, do you love me? He's like, oh, yes, Lord, I love you. Then you need to tend. You need to go chase after the sheep that have run off. You need to shepherd and bring them back into the fold. You need to bring them back into the family. And the third time he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, oh, Jesus, you know I love you, even though he just denied Jesus, I don't know, a few weeks earlier, even like spit on the ground and cursed Jesus' name. He says, "Of course I love you." And he looks at Peter, and I think he looks at us and says, "Listen, it is your job to have this life-altering love. Stop loving yourself and start loving my children. Stop loving what you enjoy and start chasing after others. I love this section of Scripture. Three times he denies Jesus Jesus is saying. I love you. I love you. Come back into me. Help me be a part of this kingdom. Jesus gives Peter and us a great work to influence the lost and to nurture the family of God. We can do this great work by investing into relationships without expectations. Again, people are not products. They are relationships. They are people that we love. After years and years of ministry, I can give you amazing examples of time and energy put into students, parents, and watch them grow into Christ and live a life that I couldn't even dream. I can also give you stories of time and energy and love and have that thrown back in my face and cursed because of it. It is not our job to create believers. It is our job to love God's children. We can develop trust by sharing life together. The people that are closest to me have the greatest influence over my life. If you walk up to me and say, hey, John, I don't like your shoes. i would be like, sweet? Okay. My wife comes up to me at the 11 o'clock service and says, hey, your sermon stinks. I'm like, oh, can you rewrite it? Thanks. Right? The people closest to me have the greatest amount of influence because I've lived life together. I've seen both positive and negative. When we mentor, when we influence people, it is not our job to act perfect. It is our job to live life together, both good and bad, and learn from the opportunity. And the last one is extending love and respect no matter their circumstances. And this is probably the hardest thing I'm going to say this morning. Your and mine personal opinions do not trump the love that you should have for God's children. It does not matter their political opinion. It does not matter of their lifestyle. It does not matter what they look like. It does not matter what color they are. If they are or are not from America, we are called to this great work to influence people for Jesus Christ, and how dare our personal preferences draw on and say, you are not worth it unless you're on my side. Church, it is our responsibility to influence others for Jesus Christ, not to make someone that believes in what I believe politically what I believe in any other way. We've got to get over ourselves. And I'm not saying this to you, I'm saying this to me because of my past, my experiences, my prejudice was growing up, I gotta be very, very careful so I don't write somebody off and be like, well, you don't look like me. So I'm not gonna be able to influence and love you for Jesus Christ. We gotta be very, very careful not to find ourselves in that situation. Scripture gives us a great example of mentoring. First of all, Jesus, of course, he's a great example of everything. Uh, he has 12 disciples, but to be very honest, he spends the most time with three. Peter, James, and John. Are they better? Are they special? part of me says they're probably the ones that are more jacked up and they need more assistance and love. So Maybe Jesus looked at him and said, hey, you're going to be amazing leaders and I need to set you up for success. These are the people that has been influencing when he died, resurrected, and was gone. These are the people that continued, to, or started and continued this amazing church through thousands of years. We are now talking about Jesus because of these three people. He invests heavily into these three and also the twelve. Another great example we see in scripture is Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas mentors Paul. Acts 9, 26 and 28. When we came, when he came to Jerusalem, Paul, he tried to join the disciples. But they were afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, told him how Paul on his journey had seen the Lord, the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas looks at Paul and says, hey listen, you kind of have a reputation of being a uh, a persecutor of the faith of anybody who believes in Jesus. Of course the apostles are going to look at him and be like, I kind of don't want to meet with that guy because I don't want to die, right? That's easy. Barnabas says, hey listen, you know, I've spent some time, I've heard his words, and I've seen his actions. He's a guy that's worthy to be called a disciple, and he brought them together. Matter of fact, throughout the next Years, decades of their lives, they spent time planning churching, uh, planting churches and loving people for Jesus Christ. They had a mentor relationship. Barnabas, somebody who was a little farther along in his faith, helped Paul learn to walk the walk and talk the talk. It's amazing. And another thing I love about scripture is that you would think Barnabas and Paul would have this great fairy tale ending, this Disney ending, but it's not so actually at all. They broke up, they kind of hated each other at the end because Barnabas is like, hey, I want to bring this buddy uh, Mark. He's young, but he's new in the faith, he's gonna be great. Paul's like, no, he's flaky and weird. I don't wanna hang out with him. And you know what they did? Split up because of their personal preferences. So Barnabas took Paul, or Barnabas took Mark, went that way, planted churches. Paul took Timothy. Paul learned from Barnabas and said, you know what, I gotta have somebody I gotta mentor to. And he went in his own direction and planted churches. So even though there wasn't a fairy tale ending, they still planted churches in the kingdom. Jesus calls us to this great work, but it is very messy. So, a few tips on how to find a mentor. Uh, number one, be an active participant in the local church. Be serving inside or outside with other believers. If you want to try to find somebody that you can learn from, you gotta hang out with somebody you got to figure out if you can trust them. And second, be a part of a life group. Matter of fact, group connect is at all campuses today. If you don't find yourself in a life group and you say, you know what? Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time for me to make a hard decision to live life in a group uh, of other believers. This is your time. Down the hall, to the right. Number two, be bold and ask. If you don't ask, you don't get Search for those that you trust and admire. Find qualities in others and say, hey, you know what, Bob, I'm going to take you out to coffee and ask you some questions. If you don't ask, you don't get. Identify someone that has the qualities you hope to attain one day. You say, you know what, man, that mother is amazing. I wish I could be as graceful and encouraging to my kids as her. Or, man, I I would love to have the ability to show mercy to these people. Frank, I got to go talk to Frank. However it is, if you don't ask, you don't get. And third, be honest about what you're looking for. Don't play church. It is okay to be imperfect, broken people that need Jesus. If you have a hard question, ask the hard question. Here's another question. Uh, Who has God placed in my life that I can mentor? Listen, it's not easy to walk up to somebody and say, hey man, your life's screwed up. Let me mentor you. Um, But there's opportunities when you grow and live life together and find somebody that says, hey, you know what? I'm a couple steps down the road. Um, As a professional, maybe I can help you out. Unfortunately, maybe it's pain. Pain is an excellent teacher. Maybe you've lost a spouse. Maybe you've lost a kid. Maybe your life in bankruptcy is just, has put you sideways and you've walked through it. Maybe you can find somebody that maybe is a couple steps behind you that says, hey, I didn't do it right, but I have a couple pointers. And you can just ask this phrase, how can I help you? When somebody came to Jesus, that was his response. How can I help you? It's easy. It's quick. There's organizations like Big Brothers, Big Sisters. They're serving children's ministry, tech ministry here on and off campus, Boys and Girls Club. Tara's in the foyer between services. If you have any questions, she's a representative of Boys and Girls Club. If you saw that video and thought, man, that's something maybe I can be a part of, I would like to be a part of that. Go ahead and talk to Tara. You know what? Our staff would love to assist you in your search. If you're looking for a mentor, or maybe you have some experience that you would love to share, come come to us. We might not be perfect, but we would love to help you connect with somebody else. And the last thing is if you have other questions that maybe I couldn't answer in 25 or 6 minutes, I would love to refer you to a book. Uh, Carrie Carrie Curry, uh, an unlikely discipler. Mm -hmm. Carrie is an elder here. At Sherwood Oaks, he's not on staff, which means he's a normal human being that lives a life that loves Jesus. He's a kingdom worker. He uses his business so that he can create relationships to influence other people for Jesus Christ. If you want a good read or if you want tips or tricks on how to mentor or disciple, I would encourage you to find an unlikely discipler on Amazon or the bookstore near you. So as we close, what, what could mentoring look like in your life today? Could you, could you take that hard step and kind of push pride away and say, you know what, maybe I need to ask for some help. Maybe you finally say, hey, you know what, I can free up some time so I can influence and help other people be a better follower of Christ. Be an active participant in our mission statement.